First in the morning, SAFM Sunrise with Stephen Grutis. You know the number, of course, this morning, 086-000-2032. Voice notes coming through as well. Tweets coming through, too, on conversations around youth leagues. And, I mean, we know that the ANC Youth League is due to have its conference. We'll try and we'll speak to some of the officials involved in a little while. We don't know exactly what's going to happen because there have been developments around that. But people also talking about what's happening in France. Tim Benita, for example, saying the burning of cities and towns, not quite burning cities and towns, but certainly fires on the streets, shows that people are now revolting against the system in France. Very interesting to see how that develops. Well, it's now emerged that Russia and India have both approached our government to create a system that would interlink our payment infrastructures. In other words, if you wanted to convert Indian rupees or Russian rubles to rands, you would not have to convert them to dollars first. To put it another way, at the moment, you can convert euros to rands immediately, but you cannot do that with many other currencies. You have to go through the dollar. However, the Reserve Bank has said it would be better to sort out the interlinking payment structures with other countries in Africa before we go ahead with India and China. It's a very complicated technical discussion. Patrick Bond is a distinguished professor of sociology and director of the center, for, uh, director of the University of Johannesburg Center for Social Change. Professor Bond, good morning. Thanks for your time. Good morning, Steve. Really nice to be back with you. If we were able to convert rands to rupees or rands to rubles without going through the dollar, would that lead to a lot more trade between us, Russia, and India? Would it be good for us? There is a little bit of friction that comes with having to get that uh, extra additional uh, intermediary. And, of course, with uh, Russia being shut out of the SWIFT system, the interbank system of payments that the West uh, set up, it's based in Brussels, but uh, it's something, been something that uh, really relies on the dollar. It's a numerator, so it's a way of counting. Uh, yes, absolutely, there could be more trade because that has been... Professor Bond, I'm so sorry, we're battling to hear you. It's not a clear line at all. We're going to see if we can call you back or see if we can call you on WhatsApp just to try and improve the quality on the line. And I know it's a very technical discussion, which is why I want to make absolutely certain that uh, we are able to hear very clearly on this issue because I think that is important. And just to you know hear a bit more about this actual issue, which uh, it could have huge implications for how we actually structure things and for how things are done and how banks systems work. It's a very, very interesting conversation in many different ways. All right, so we'll see if we're able to get Patrick Bond. Voice notes have been coming through this morning on 0614104107. All right, back to our conversation with Professor Patrick Bond about the dollar and working more closely with uh, Russia and India. Professor Bond, good morning. I was asking um, if we were able to convert rands directly to rupees and, ru- and rubles without going through the dollar, would that make it easier to trade for us with Russia and India? Yes, it would. And the question is how much, because usually trade drives the demand, not the other way around. Uh, However, there is friction. And if that were removed, now the friction uh, isn't just that if you want to uh, trade in India, you've you've got to use the dollar. But there's also the problem of using the banks to put money into Russian banks to uh, satisfy your trading partner because of the invasion of Ukraine uh, in uh, February last year. Quite quickly, uh, the U.S. Treasury got Russia tossed out of the interbank system. It's called SWIFT. And so, yes, uh, the ideal for Russia is to set up all sorts of local systems. And I think it is the ideal for the world. Why we may have, you know, all sorts of opinions on uh, how best to punish Russia for the illegal invasion, one uh, means of which is the financial seizures or tossing them out of SWIFT. 
But um, I do think there's there's really little question, even somebody like Jim O'Neill, formerly Goldman Sachs, uh, would agree that the dollar has become too dominant. And it's also a quite irresponsibly managed currency. He's the person who suggested BRICS in the first place. Um, as I understand it, and, and just check I get this right, Prof, one of the issues is, is that our reserve bank would then have to hold reserves of rubles and rupees. So if I wanted to go and get rubles for my rands, those rubles have to come from somewhere. And if I've understood this correctly, our reserve bank would have to reserve have to have reserves of other countries' currency. So it would keep that money here so I could do the conversion. But that means that our reserve bank would be holding the money of another country. And from what I can see, officials in the reserve bank are worried about the value of that money. In other words, if they're holding billions of rupees so that I can convert my rupees and then something happens in India and the value of the rupee goes down, what happens to the money that the bank is holding? Is that a legitimate concern? Oh, yes, absolutely. And that's why there's some talk of having gold back currency as an option where the BRICS would agree and it might be the yuan as the sort of interim measure that there would be um, one of the currencies the one that's strongest obviously the Chinese uh, the rupees held up fairly well and of course one would worry about uh, three currencies of countries that have gone into default in, in recent years well for South Africa 1985 a default on the debt uh, in Brazil 1987 in Russia both in 1999 and last year uh, so the, the ruble had fallen pretty dramatically once the invasion happened and the financial uh, tax uh, by the West occurred. And then the really interesting question is whether um, some, you know, a country like Russia with a quite competent central bank manager has got a lot of gold. And it turns out they've been buying lots of gold. So their currency does have a backing. Uh, and Brazil is a fairly strong economy. We, we wouldn't worry so much there. It's when you get the BRICS expansion that it becomes more curious because there are countries, you know, one, they're probably the weakest with currency is Zimbabwe. They have a fair bit of gold, but they're, you know, that's sort of been the, the, the big question is how much do you dilute the power of those five economies by bringing in uh, perhaps another 20. Some of them are very strong economies like Saudi Arabia, UAE. Others have been under financial attack like Iran. And then you are talking about a very messy situation. Hence, the ideal to have some alternative way to avoid dollar, but one that would involve a currency that has strong backing. And many of these countries that are going to be coming in are going to be under not just the political sanctions, but many are uh, very fossil addicted. There'll be uh, what we call climate sanctions, a carbon border adjustment mechanism. Many are tyrannies, but they, as we saw last weekend, might be vulnerable themselves uh, to political changes. So it's a very messy situation. Hence, 1944, when the US dollar was chosen, because they had about half the world's gold, half of it was under Johannesburg, that was the sort of sense that, well, the US, it will be their century. They should have the responsibility of having the dollar. And of course, with the responsibility is the huge benefit, which they've been abusing, of printing dollars at will. Um, a lot of talk about moving away from the dollar. You point out that the dollar has been the global reserve currency since the Second World War. To move away from that would be a long process. I mean, it would probably be, what, 10, 20 years? It could happen uh, rapidly if there's another Bretton Woods type conference. That was the, a meeting in, in a New Hampshire hotel in the town of Bretton Woods um, in the United States. And as I said, um, there were basically two big creditors or gold holders, and they made an alliance and they quickly changed the whole system. Uh, that was South Africa as backing the United States instead of its Commonwealth ally, uh, Britain. And John Maynard Keynes was furious and uh, he was the main negotiator 
famous British economist, and he actually had a heart attack and died after the second of the negotiations in in uh, Savannah, Georgia, in 1946. The point being that this was exceptionally, uh, let's say, tense and geopolitically charged, and there wasn't really a, a, a sort of a China and, and uh, Russia. You know, China was uh, still a more or less of a colony and divided between several several powers, and Russia, you know, was out of the system as a the Soviet Union. And I think it's going to be uh, very very important at some point to, to revisit Bretton Woods. You're right; it's going to take a long time. And I think people who have anticipations that the BRICS are the vehicle will be over optimistic. They've failed us in a way in the same arena on the contingent reserve arrangement, the alternative. The IMF. I'm sure you remember, and, and listeners do, that in 2020, when uh, we wanted to get some more dollars, Titon Boweni, the finance minister, didn't go to this alternative. Uh, he could have got $3 billion at a good rate, uh, but instead went to the IMF. So there's a lot of hype. We're supposed to have an alternative credit rating agency, an alternative you know, vaccine center from the 2018 BRICS meeting. These things are often talked about, but it's uh, it's hard to see them uh, in practice when all the pressures uh, out there in the world are against them. And frankly, when we have quite conservative uh, Treasury and central bank officials who don't really want to mess with uh, the dollar, especially when there's all the other talk of secondary sanctions against South Africa. Professor Patrick Bond, really appreciate the explanation. Thank you very much indeed. Professor of Sociology at the University of Johannesburg.